want to, um, to first of all thank you for all of your prayers for my family over this past week as my wife gave birth to our seventh child last weekend. We had a little boy. We named him Ephraim, and he's doing quite well. He's perfect. I'm sure he'll grow up and teach me that he's not perfect, but for now, <laughs> for now he's perfect, and uh, he's home, and my wife is home recovering, and we're planning on baptizing him the Saturday after Thanksgiving, which henceforth will be known as the Feast of the Presentation of Ephraim in the Temple. So, people have asked me where I got the name from, and uh, Ephraim is the name of a 4th century Syrian deacon who is also a doctor of the church. He's a theologian, he wrote a lot of hymns, he's called the Harp of the Holy Spirit. And of course, Ephraim is also the name of one of Jacob's sons, and so it's one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, and I, I picked the name uh, because of the deacon, Ephraim, uh, but... Uh, it occurred to me when I was in the hospital, sitting there thinking, we had a lot of time on our hands, we couldn't have any visitors. Uh, and I said, Hebrew names all mean something, so I wonder what this name actually means, you know, the literal meaning of it. So I looked it up and it means fruitful, which seems appropriate for child number seven. So, <laughs> hope to introduce you all to him soon. But thank you for your prayers, thank you for your charity. And, uh, and charity is what we're talking about today, isn't it? Charity is what the readings are all about. We tend to think of charity, the way we use that word today, as you know, a monetary contribution to some worthy organization. You know, we make a charitable donation. And uh, we might hear on the news, for example, about a large charitable don donation that comes in from a, a corporate CEO making a million-dollar gift to some agency, um, some, some nonprofit. And... I think sometimes we can feel a little bit cynical when we hear about this, and it's understandable, because if that million-dollar gift is coming from someone who has many billions of dollars, you know, we might, we might say, well, what is it really costing them? You know, do they even miss it? In fact, they might just be making it uh, you know, as a tax write-off, so they, they might be trying to save money by making the gift. And, and so I think it's right we feel a little bit cynical about those sorts of things, but if you think about it strictly on practical terms, we should say, well, why does it, why does it matter? A million dollars is a million dollars, right? And I'm sure that the charity is happy to receive it. They can put it to good use. It doesn't matter the, the sacrifice or the motivation of the one who gave it if we were thinking purely in practical terms. But in our hearts, something tells us that a million-dollar gift from a multi-billionaire somehow doesn't have the same value, the same merit as, for example, when a homeless person might spend his last dollar to buy a sandwich at a gas station and then give half of that sandwich to a friend of his who's hungry. We recognize that half a sandwich somehow is worth more than that million dollar donation because that half a sandwich represented more of a sacrifice. And, and this tells us something very important about charity, and it's that it has a spiritual measure. There's a spiritual measure to our charity. That poor man who gave up half of his sandwich gained more spiritual benefit from his gift 
than did the, the rich corporate CEO who wrote a check for a million dollars that he's never going to miss. But is it just a matter of percentages? Is it just a matter of you know, giving a bigger percentage of our wealth, giving a bigger percentage of what we have to God? Is that what makes it more valuable? You know, in the, uh, in the Old Testament, under the law of Moses, the people of Israel were required to tithe, that is to give 10% of their income to God, to give 10%. So we should ask, well, what does the new covenant require of us? If 10% was required in the old covenant, what does the new covenant say we should give? And if we go looking for answers in the gospel, we might not like what we find. Because when Jesus talks about the cost of discipleship, he doesn't speak in percentages. He says things like, take up your cross and follow me. And we hear that phrase very often in church, take up your cross, take up your cross and follow me. And we understand that that means accepting sacrifice. But the impact of those words, I think, is softened by... The, the image of Jesus, our Lord on the cross. We know our Lord sacrificed everything for us, but we know the cross led to resurrection. And so we hear those words, take up your cross, and they don't have quite the same impact as they did for those who first heard them, who knew nothing of the resurrection, didn't know what the cross was all about. When Jesus said, take up your cross, the cross to them is just an instrument of torture and humiliation and execution. The cross meant death. And Jesus is saying this is the cost of discipleship. It means sacrifice. So under the old law, it said give 10% to God, and people struggled with that. Under the new law, it says give God everything. Give God your life. And that brings us to the true meaning of charity, because charity means more than just making a donation. It means much more than that. Charity means love. Specifically, the kind of love that the, Cre the Greeks called agape, and the Latins called caritas. That's where we get the word charity from, caritas. And agape, or caritas, meant the love that involved the complete gift of self from one person to another. What you're giving in charity is yourself. It's a complete gift of self from one person to another. And making yourself a gift is a lot more difficult than just writing a check, right? Or putting an envelope in the basket when the ushers come around. I can give you $100 pretty easily. Just take out my wallet and hand it to you. I can buy someone who's hungry a meal. I can give someone who's cold a jacket. These are relatively easy things for us to do. But charity is when I give you me. When I give you me. And how can I give someone me? How can I do that? As I was thinking about that question, I realized one way of doing that is by giving your time. Right? Because if you think about it, we all only have so many minutes allotted to us here on earth. And every minute we spend is a minute that we're never going to give back. So when we spend time with someone, we're giving them a portion of our life. And that's significant, right? Never underestimate the value of time that you spend with someone. 
Another way of giving yourself to someone is when you allow that person to occupy an important place in your heart, an important place in your, in your heart. You think about that person. You're concerned for that person. You pray for that person. You can think about it as allowing that person to, to own a little bit of your spiritual real estate in your soul, right? They, they take up residency there in you. They become part of you. You consider their good to be your good. When, when they're suffering, it causes you suffering. When they're joyful, it brings you joy. That's also a way that we can give ourselves to someone by letting them have that space of honor in our hearts. When we think about our relationship with Christ, we should ask these questions. Am I spending time with Christ? Am I giving Christ my time in prayer? Am I letting Christ have that special place of honor in my heart? Am I concerned with what concerns him? And then am I doing these things for other people out of love for Christ? And this kind of charity between human beings is is relatively rare. We really only find it in certain special relationships, like the relationships between parents and their children, or the relationship between best friends, or the relationship, most especially, between spouses. And I don't think it's a coincidence that these are the exact relationships that Christ bases the new covenant on, isn't it? Right? He teaches us to call, call God our Father. And he tells us, I no longer call you slaves, but friends. You are my friends. And then he gives himself to us as the bridegroom, because the church is his bride. And here's the really strange thing about charity. It makes it different from all other ways of giving. To receive charity, to receive this gift of one person to another, you have to also give it. To receive it, you have to also give it. Other gifts don't work this way. If you want to give me $100, I don't have to do anything to receive that. I can just take your check for $100. I don't have to write you a check for $100 in return in order to benefit. But if you want to give me yourself, if you want to give yourself to me, the only way I benefit from that self-gift is if I give myself back to you. If you think about it, your best friend can only be your best friend if you're also their friend. You're not married to your spouse just because your spouse said, I do, but because you also said, I do. It's that mutual giving that makes charity really come alive, right? And that's an interesting aspect of charity that I don't think we think about often, but it's important because what it means for our faith is that if we want to receive Christ's charity, if we want to receive Christ's gift of himself, we have to give him ourselves to benefit from that. If we want Christ as our bridegroom, we have to become his bride. We have to become his friend. We have to become his brothers and sisters by by being adopted sons and daughters of the same father. In other words, we have to give our lives to Christ if we want him to give his life to us. We have to have agape or caritas towards Christ. And that's the cost of discipleship. And it's a high cost because it demands everything of us. And we might not think we can afford it. But the good news is that we can. And that's the lesson of the widow's might in today's gospel. All this poor widow had was two coins. But that was enough. Because what God wanted wasn't in her purse. It was in her heart. 
What God wanted was not in her purse, it was in her heart. You can compare that to the, the story of the rich young man that we heard a few weeks ago. I think it was a month ago, the last time I was, I was preaching. You know, Christ demanded everything of the rich young man. He demanded that he sell everything that he had and give it to the poor. But that man decided that the cost of discipleship was too high. He had so much more to give than this poor widow who only had two coins. But he decided the cost was too high, and so he went away sad. Now, when Elijah asked the widow of Zarephath for her last measure of flour to make him a little, little loaf of bread, it must have seemed like he was asking everything from her, because that was all she had. And once she and her son had eaten that, they would die. But she gave it to Elijah nonetheless, and her little gift of a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil, was enough for her to be abundantly blessed by God. And what all these examples do is they tell us it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're the rich young man or if you're the poor old widow. You have enough. We all have enough because the price of admission to heaven is the same for everybody. It's everything. It's everything. And while that seems like a high price, we all have everything to give. The widow of Zarephath and her little bit of flour and oil had enough. The apostles who left their fishing nets behind to go and follow Christ had enough. The rich young man had enough. The scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus criticizes today, they had enough. The sinners and the tax collectors that he was dining with, they had enough. You and I have enough. We all have enough. The question is not how much do you have, how much time, how much talent, how much treasure do you have to give? The question is, how freely do you give it? How freely do you give it? Because the more that we give, the more we will be blessed. The more of ourselves we give to Christ and to others out of love for him, the more Christ will give us in return, the more of Christ we will receive. This is why Mary who is the model of charity, can say in all humility, my soul magnifies the Lord. Because she gave everything she had to God. She gave her whole life to God. And God was able to multiply that gift the same way that he multiplied the widow's flour and oil so that it never ran out. And he multiplied the loaves and fish to feed the 5,000. But what he multiplied in Mary wasn't flour or oil or loaves or fish, but he multiplied her life because that's what she gave. That's what she gave to God. And this is why Jesus says, if we want to save our lives, we have to lose it. If you want to save your life, you have to lose it because only if we give our life to God can God then multiply that for all eternity and we receive eternal life. We can be afraid to give God everything. We can be afraid to give God everything because we fear that means we have to lose everything. It can seem like that. It can really seem like that. But what Jesus is telling us is that when we do that, when we give God everything, he gives us everything in return. That's why he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because that's how charity works. You can only receive it if you freely give it. When we give ourselves to God, when we give our our time and our talent and our treasure to other people out of love for God, then God gives himself to us. And when we have God, we have everything.